Hello, my little degenerates. My, how I have missed you. I know, I know, I've been bad. I've been away a little bit. But uh, hopefully you will forgive me. I um, I have been a little under the weather. I've been ill and unable to make it to a podcast. I was on bed rest and voice rest per doctor's orders. So uh, unfortunately, had to take a little bit of a break. But so much has happened since the last time we talked, thank you for joining me. This is the Regulators Podcast. I am, of course, your fearsome leader, Waldo. And uh, since the last time we spoke, uh, a lot of things have happened with our bets. We cashed our AFC East parlay bet that we had made at the beginning of the season. It was really awesome. Um, we hit our preseason division winner parlay uh, with Cincinnati, KC, and Tampa Bay, and we almost closed a perfect day in Week 18. I think we had a six-team teaser parlay. All we needed was the Cardinals to lose by 24 points or less, and they lost by 25, but sometimes that is the way the cookie crumbles. But we did bounce back um, after that, and uh, we had given out our parlays to our Patreon members, uh, because I was uh, unable to make it to the podcast, but we gave them out to our Patreon members. And um, we missed a couple of the smaller parlays, but we hit our big five-team teaser. And uh, we also hit our uh, Kenneth Walker and Geno Smith prop parlay. And uh, unfortunately, though, what goes up must come down. So we got our asses handed to us last week. I lost hundreds of dollars. No thanks to the fucking New York Giants. I hit every single leg of our parlay except the Giants plus 17. I needed the Giants plus 17 and of course they got fucking smoked. So that erases us uh, a big win from the week before but still up 87 units on the season. It's nothing to complain about so we're rolling into the championship weekend uh, try to close out uh, on a season high. If you want to see all of our bets all the way back to the beginning of the season, uh, you can find us on our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, and you can just look for the Regulators Podcast. It's basically 3 bucks a month, gets you special access to the podcast, including every single one of our bets, all of our units up and down, and where we're tracking Uh throughout the year because I'm a big believer in motherfucking receipts. So those are all there for you guys. Um, speaking of congratulations, that uh, is in order for the uh, two winners of our season-long pick'em pool that we ran here at the Regulators Podcast. So Ryan and Marty took first place and second place respectively. Uh, we gave out almost $700 in cash prizes. I was right there in third uh, pretty much the entire season, but week one, I had like four out of 16 games, man. I, I had a horrible week one and I was playing catch up the entire year. So didn't work out for me, but, uh, Ryan and Marty took home some cash. So congratulations to them. And we look forward to doing it bigger and better, uh, next year. It was a whole bunch of fun. Um, but let's talk football now. So before we get into the games, 
some interesting news caught my eye. Do you guys remember the Popeye's meme kid? This was a kid in the yellow shirt who was holding a cup. It looked like a glass of milk, but it was really just like a styrofoam cup. And he had that like awkward look on his face. It's a very popular meme. Anyway, that kid just got a Popeye's NIL deal. He is a D lineman for Lake Erie College. And I can't wait to see the dividends that that's going to pay. I love that that tells us one, exactly how old we are and how old that meme is. Um, but some of these NIL deals are going to be fun. But let's talk about NFL football. So we didn't obviously get to have a podcast last week or the week before. So I'm going to try to cover a lot of things just because I didn't get a chance to talk about them. Um, and, you know, I always like to share my thoughts on as many teams as possible. So Let's start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jacksonville Jaguars erased a 27 to nothing deficit in the first round of the playoffs to get past the Chargers. Um, obviously, all that excitement wasn't enough to propel them past the Chiefs. And, you know, it is what it is. But I don't think there's anything for Jags fans to be upset about here. So you nailed the head coach choice with Peterson for once, you know, Sounds like uh, Shad Khan finally got the right guy. And so, I mean, that's that's win number one. Win number two, you know, Trevor Lawrence looks like he's actually developing into what you thought he's going to be. And obviously, under the tutelage of Peterson, that's obviously a, a big reason for that. Um, but so you've got the coach. You've got the quarterback. You have some really great young talent. And I think you have a bright future and... The only other real threat that you have in the division at the moment, the Tennessee Titans, has all of a sudden fallen apart. So, yes, we can talk about the Colts, what they can or can't be with the right quarterback, but right now that's not the situation. So, this isn't, you know, the same old Jacksonville Jaguars team. So, yes, you are not on the same level as the Kansas City Chiefs yet, but that's a yet but you are trending in the right direction. So to go from having the number one overall pick to winning the division, getting a playoff win, like I think that's a huge step in the right direction. And I don't think anybody in Duval should be upset. Uh, a lot of people I've talked to, you know, they feel good. Obviously, they're disappointed. Um, but I think you should feel great. I think, you know, you are just steps ahead of, of where this rebuild, you know, look like it might be headed. So I, I think the Jags have a lot uh, to look forward to as they head into this offseason. Now, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, who obviously sent them home. The last time we saw the Kansas City Chiefs before the bye week um, was when they destroyed the Las Vegas Raiders. They secured the bye. And now they move past the Jaguars on their way to yet another AFC Championship game. And this game for me comes down to one simple thing. <coughs> Not a cough, but taking care of the football. So the Chiefs have gotten reckless in the past. I've told you guys all season how Mahomes and Josh Allen were duking it out for the most interceptions title and then Dak walked away with it at the end. But, you know, the Chiefs have been prone to turn the ball over. And I think they need to not get too cocky. They need to protect the ball. 
um, play your game and everything will come to you. The Chiefs are actually an underdog at home as the one seed. Like, that's how Vegas sees it, and we'll come back to that later on. But having said that, you know, I think the Chiefs, they're they're elite, they're amazing, um, but they need to be fucking dialed in, and Patrick Mahomes needs to make really smart decisions with the football. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, their opponent on the other side, the Bengals, honestly, they should be upset that this is an automatic home game for the Chiefs. If the Bengals had beat Buffalo in that game that was canceled, the Bengals would have had the number one seed and home field advantage. So, you know, I don't think it's that ridiculous that there could have been a neutral game site for Cincinnati, Kansas City. They were going to have it for Kansas City, Buffalo. But, you know, I don't understand why they couldn't have extended that courtesy. Easily looking at, okay, had this game been played, could they have gotten the number one seed and the home field? Then why wouldn't they be part of that neutral site scenario? So I don't get to make those decisions, um, but I definitely think it's it's something worth scratching your head over and, and being upset about. But it is what it is. You know, you've got to move on. Um, and, you know, as much as Kansas City will get their well-deserved flowers uh, because they've earned it and they're an elite team. Let's not forget that they have lost to the Bengals three times in a row now. All three times last season, but the playoffs, um, with the playoffs included the regular season, um, it's just, you know, that seems to be kind of their kryptonite right now. So Zach Taylor has done an incredible job with this team, and I have not been shy about saying it. Um, when they were garbage for a couple seasons, like I, I really didn't see Zach Taylor. Like I just, I, I didn't see it, man. You know, and and obviously I wasn't in the building every day, and maybe I was quick to jump to the gun, um, and that's humbled me a little bit. But Zach Taylor has done an incredible job with this team, and now he's going to his second AFC Championship game in a row, and was in the Super Bowl last year. So, hats off to him. Uh, this is going to be an absolutely incredible game between the Chiefs and the Bengals. Now flip over to the NFC. The Philadelphia Eagles waterboarded the Giants into submission, um, thus cementing their spot at the top of the NFC East. There, There is no debate. Now you have two of the best defenses in football playing against each other this weekend with Philly and San Fran. I think this is a giant moment for both of these quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, we know the story, lost his starting job at Alabama. Both Tua Tungabailoa and Mac Jones went in the first round. Hurts slid later, um, got picked up in the second round, but a lot of people still had questions if he could be the franchise guy. Now, I think most of those questions have been answered, um, but... Putting on a great performance against an elite defense to clinch a Super Bowl berth would, I think, just shatter all of those doubts and those questions um, for anybody who still has them left. Uh, that would be a huge feather in his cap to add to his resume. And on the other side, you got the last fucking pick of the draft. And, you know, this is this is a difficult game for me because I love the shit out of both of these teams. The Eagles and the 49ers, I just have such an affinity for. Um, so it's tough for me to know who I'm really rooting for. And at the end of the day, it'll come down to, you know, where my money is sitting. 
But you've got a rookie, third-string guy that was lucky to make an active roster. We know the Mr. Irrelevant story. Like, <clears throat> he was the first Mr. Irrelevant to ever throw a touchdown in a game. That tells you how irrelevant the people who get picked at that position are. He, he shouldn't even be on an active roster. Now, this team has won a shit ton of games in a row, and he is on the doorstep of a fucking Super Bowl. What a time to be alive. Like, it, it really makes you want to root for the 49ers. Not to take anything away from the Eagles and Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni and what they've done over there. Like, <coughs> how do you not root for the guy who shouldn't be there? You know, he's the next Kurt Warner story, if and when, you know, it turns into a long-term successful thing. And this talk about Jimmy G could be able to practice and maybe if there's a super, like, in in what world? In a, in a backup capacity for some weird thing that you hope never happens? But, like, you can't tell me that you would you would sit Brock Purdy. Like, there's no, there's nobody on God's green earth that could make me sit Brock Purdy in any capacity. Like, I don't care if he comes out and he throws a couple interceptions. I mean, unless the game is like over, over, out of... But if there's even a chance, especially when you've got a defense like that that can just completely... Look, look at what happened in the Jaguars and the Chargers game. Imagine Trevor Lawrence down 27 nothing. He's thrown four interceptions. The Jaguars offense has turned the ball over five times. And Doug Peterson says, hey, I'm going to make a change. You know, just got to try to get something going. Then we wouldn't have had the amazing comeback that we had with the Jaguars coming back and beating the Chargers. Like, and that's where, you know, I, I think it's foolish sometimes where these coaches, you know, I see the rate at which they bench. To me, benching is something that happens either A, in a complete blowout that's lost where it's like, all right, you're not gaining anything out of this. I don't want you to get hurt. Like, go sit on the bench. Or a complete blowout as a win. You're up 30 points. It's the fourth quarter. Yeah, sit your star player down. Like, that's fine. But outside of that, I truly believe benching should be a body of work thing. You stink it up for three games in a row. You throw 12 interceptions, no touchdowns. It's going really, really bad. We can't lose the season over you. We're going to start another guy for a game and see how it goes. But a one-game situation, and based on Brock Purdy's body of work, there is nothing to suggest that you would take him out of any game, and I can't imagine that that would ever happen. But having said that, what an incredible opportunity. I mean, especially two amazing defenses. I don't know if we're going to see the 15-12 to 12 game that everybody expects. I think that all rules are off in a championship game. Um, and I think we're going to get a great game out of both of these teams. But low-key, I feel like I'm kind of rooting for the kid, man. Like, And I, it, it sucks because I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts so much too, right? Like, he should be – he's had an amazing season. He should be able to cement him, stamp himself and say, hey, stop fucking acting like I'm not here. Like, I'm not on the scene. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not putting up these fucking numbers. Like, so, like, I'll be just as happy. Like, I won't be sad. Whoever, whoever wins this game, I won't be sad. I won't, I won't be upset like, oh, I didn't want, want that person to go. Um, 
But fuck, I can't even imagine if Brock Purdy goes to the Super Bowl. It would, it would be just... The other reason I like it is because it's such a dick slap in the face to every single scouting department, every coach, you know, who thinks that, you know, Brian Billick wrote books on this. Like, there is no formula. It's all bullshit. Because even in the first round quarterbacks alone, NFL teams only hit at a 50% rate of having a guy who is average or better at the position. 50%. Like, teams miss all the fucking time. Yeah, we know about the Ryan Leafs and the Jamarcus Russells and, you know, some of those extreme examples, but there's so many more of them. There's so many more of them that just come in, they they do okay for a little while. I mean, look at Marcus Mariota, look at Jameis uh, Winston, you know, and Jameis probably has the best shot of uh, out of those guys to actually do something with his career still. But the point remains, you understand what I'm saying. There's no fucking science to it. We know that Tom Brady, you know, was pick 199. He was, you know, a uh, late round pick. Everybody passed on him. But he's supposed to be the exception to the rule, right? But, I mean, Izzy, we know Tony Romo. We know Kurt Warner. We know their stories. You know, you got these undrafted guys. You've got Russell Wilson, who was a third-round pick. And, I mean, I could go on for days and days about this. And I'm not saying, yes, of course, the higher you get in the draft, like if, you're, if your chance of a, of a sixth or seventh-round guy is 2% of him being a franchise guy, and then you get to the third round where maybe it's a 10 to 15% chance, and then the second round is a 25%, and the first round, you know, maybe 40% or whatever – I understand that obviously your uh, your chance is higher in the first round, but a lot of that is mostly due to everybody scouting the same fucking guys. Everybody has those guys high up on their list. And keep in mind, if you're taken in the first or second round, you're almost guaranteed playing opportunity. They wasted picks on you. They wasted money on you. They want to see what you have, so they're going to put you in. If Trey Lance doesn't go down... We may not ever see Jimmy Garoppolo this season. And if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't go down, we sure as fuck don't see Brock Purdy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's when opportunity meets preparation and fate. All of that. Everybody knows how Drew Bledsoe went down and that's what led us to Tom Brady. Everyone knows that Trent Green went down and that's what led us to um, Kurt Warner. So... All of these things happen that thrust these guys into starting roles where they might not have even been starting or we don't know how much playing time they could have got. So I just love that it shits all over scouting and all of this stuff on what these quarterbacks are supposed to be and what they can do. And so so the, the nihilist in me um, really wants to see Brock Purdy go to the Super Bowl. But having said that, again... I would be super happy for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles if it happens. Now, I do want to talk about, before we get into the betting lines, I do want to talk about some of the teams that have already been knocked out of the playoffs. You know, we'd mentioned the Jaguars, uh, you know, just in case I don't get a chance to talk about them again <coughs> before the offseason. So, Dallas. I know people love to hate the Cowboys, which is just dumb. It's it's really an old played-out trope. 
Um, the Cowboys had the number four offense in football this season and the number five defense. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. The Dallas Cowboys had the number four offense and the number five defense in football. And we'll get to your, but, but, but they failed and they lost when it counted. Listen, like you can't just go around clowning people who are top five on both sides of the football like they are a garbage team. You are a garbage person who just doesn't like the Cowboys because some asshole you didn't like in the 90s was a fan of theirs. Like, unless you root for another NFC East team, there's a 99% certainty that you have no legit reason to hate the Cowboys. Yes, maybe your, your ex who burnt down your house and shot your dog like the Cowboys. That's why I said I'm leaving that 1% out there. But 99% of you who are not fans of NFC East teams have no reason to hate the fucking Cowboys. And it's just old and played out. Like, get better jokes, okay? They have the most valuable franchise in football from a dollars and cents point, And it's not even close, okay? They're the biggest ratings draw in football. And it's not even close. And what Jerry Jones has built out there in Frisco, Texas, is nothing short of the eighth wonder of the world. The whole compound they have, like, I'm not even talking about just Jerry World, the stadium. Like, what they've done out there is just a phenomenal testament to football. And having said that, you can still hold people accountable within reason. And what I saw of Dak Prescott last week was mind-numbingly obscene. I'm sorry, Dak, but it doesn't happen to a lot of guys, and it is a big deal. I'm not even going to talk about the almost interceptions. I just want to talk about the actual ones that he threw. In what world? I have always defended Dak, and I think he is as talented as they come. But to watch him stare down receivers and then throw late. Like, <coughs> that's, the, that's the kind of thing. I'm choking like the Cowboys did. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, like, that's the kind of thing you expect at a rookie or second-year guys. I know people will, you know, point to him leading the league in interceptions this season. And it's a very fair point. It's not something he's typically known for. But this year, balls definitely got away from him. Uh, made some very bad decisions, but you have to wonder, you know, is it an outlier or, you know, is is that is there something going on there? Because, it, again, remember, Mahomes and Josh Allen weren't much better this year. They were going toe-for-toe toe most of the season on who could throw the most interceptions and turn the ball over the most. Now, last year, Dak Prescott had 37 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions. So, to be fair... You know, we can't necessarily say yet, okay, this is a trend, this is a, this is a problem. Yes, this season, absolutely. It, it hasn't worked out, uh, didn't look very good, um, but it's not a career trend at the moment. And I do know that Dak has a little Brett Favre in him, which you have to take the good with the bad for that. Um, but I can forgive an occasional deep ball that goes awry, giving your guy a 50-50 shot and it doesn't end up your way. Um, those things don't bother me. It's the short to mid bad decisions that really worry me from a standpoint of can this be the guy that takes you all the way? I know he 
can be that guy. I'm just not sure at this moment if he will be that guy. Now, he isn't the only one I took issue with last week, believe you me. I cannot believe that they let Maher roll out there again as a kicker. His first PAT attempt was blocked, but it would have missed anyway. They showed it. You saw it. That thing was hooking. It was going nowhere near those goalposts. Now, <coughs> that immediately, that, that first block, that immediately started affecting coaching decisions. If you knew he was on such a short leash in that game that was going to push you to go for it on fourth down and not try long field goals, etc., etc., um, and especially in a game against you know, a good defense that was expected to be a close game, then you shouldn't have had him out there. That is coaching malpractice, and that is not the first time that you have been guilty of such decisions. Additionally, pre-snap fucking penalties. Nothing new, but Jesus, last year, the Dallas Cowboys were the most penalized team in football. And when they went into the playoffs and went up against the referee staff that was known for calling the most penalties in football, what happened? They got their asses handed to them, shit ton of penalties, and they lost, got kicked out of the playoffs. Right? This year, including the playoffs, most penalized team in football. Again, I put that back on coaching. The Dallas Cowboys need to do some soul searching because it's crazy to me. It's ludicrous to have a team with a top five offense and defense and you have this many questions about your football team and can't seem to get it right when it counts. And it just feeds into what I have always, always said about the Cowboys. Since the 1990s, the Dallas Cowboys continue to be the most talented fucking team to not do shit. That's who they are. Talented as all get out. Can't put it all together. And again, the common denominator that I continue to come back on, again, we can blame Dak for certain things. We can blame kickers for certain things. Um, but to me, it comes back to coaching. And I was a, I was a believer in Mike McCarthy. Um... And it's hard to oust someone who is continually, you know, getting you to the playoffs, who has had, you know, some winning records and success. But I don't, again, those same questions, I don't know if he can get them over the hump. And a lot of the internal self-inflicted wounds that Dallas has, I blame that on coaching. So if, if Mike McCarthy can't get a hold of that, then I think there has to be somebody who possibly can. <clears throat> now let's move on from the Cowboys and talk about the Tennessee Titans. What a disaster. I know that um, they just missed the playoffs uh, based on you know some things that had happened, but you know, I had wanted to talk about them a couple weeks ago, never got the chance. 0-8... Um, or to to end the season, like I think it was seven seven or eight straight losses to finish the season, and what a fall from grace! Like seven and three start, Titans were slow walking to wrapping up the division. 
and we talked about it all season long. We were like, all right, stop fucking around. Stop fucking around. And then that was it. That was all she wrote. Now, I know Tannehill being hurt obviously didn't help. And I do personally believe that if T-Sizzle was healthy, um, RT-17 wraps up that division and the Titans are going to the playoffs. How far they get in the playoffs, I don't know. Um, Because unfortunately, there are bigger problems for the Tennessee Titans. They never should have let A.J. Brown go. And when he came back and put on that freak fest, uh, he literally got the GM fired that allowed him to go to the Philadelphia Eagles. So they continue to get rid of weapons for Tannehill. They did it with Corey Davis. They did it with A.J. Brown. Um, They don't care. They just figure, well, as Derrick Henry goes, the team goes. Um, But I'm hoping that it is not going to be more of the same. They have gotten a new GM, Rand Carthon, who is actually a former player and has served as an executive with several organizations. Um, I think he was with uh, the Falcons, possibly Chiefs and or 49ers. Um, I forget off the top of my head, but he's been several places. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, he can be a much better evaluator of what type of talent this team needs to compete for championships. He's going to have to obviously evaluate where they sit with Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. And more importantly, you know, 28th ranked offense, you're not exactly one piece away. Even with Derrick Henry to have the 28th ranked offense, that's not going to cut it in the NFL. We always say, you know, what does that stand for? Not for fucking long. So um, a lot on his plate that he will have to figure out. Speaking of people who have a lot on their plate, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, you know, the Bucks already had the division wrapped up before week 18. And good thing they did because they got clowned by the fucking Dirty Birds last game of the regular season. And then they still got to host home playoff game just to get destroyed by the Dallas Cowboys. Now, everyone is talking about Tom Brady being a free agent this year and where he could end up. And (coughs) at this exact moment, only fucking place I think he should end up is on TV um, because I don't think his head is in the game. Now, the man did go through a lot of personal stuff off the field, so maybe that's playing into it and he just needs to go clear his head. But last year, he was the number one football number one passer in football, had more yards than anybody had ever thrown for in the National Football League, and there was no reason to walk away. He was playing at an elite level, okay? This year, he still had hella yards, but his passer rating was good for 18th, one spot above Taylor Heineke. So, to be clear, Tom wasn't horrific, um, and the run game was non-existent, so it was completely on his shoulders, The defense was middle of the road at best, but Tom looked frustrated so often. He looked completely off. He definitely wasn't clutch in the moments you expected him to be. And then you watch this video of him mic'd up in the playoff game where he's playing against Dallas and he's trying to hype his guys up and he's like, this is it guys. This is it right here. And these dudes had like no response. There was no, like, yeah, we got you. Like, there was nothing. And, like, we tweeted it out. You know, go find us on on Twitter, at RegulatorsPod. Um, There's a video, like, circulating of all his mic'd up moments from the game. And he's just continually (coughs) uh, trying to 
you know, get his team hyped up, and it's sad. It's so sad to see. Like, people have watched it and literally commented, I want to retire after watching this video. Like, it's sad. It's just really, really sad to see the GOAT out there, you know, trying to get people riled in. And listen, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. You know, maybe he told them pregame, hey, you're all a bunch of fucking bitches, and you only exist here because of me, so let's go out and do this shit. You know, so maybe they were like, fuck Tom. I don't think that happened. But I'm just saying... Obviously, we only have one side of it, but it was just, it was very, very odd. When you know the band of brotherhoods that is an NFL team, it was just very, very odd to watch that. Um, so it was, it was, it was definitely sad. Um, but, you know, far be it from me to say that he can't make a strong comeback. I just think that his head and his heart may not be in it right now, and it's one thing to choose football over your family. I don't mind that, but be that guy. Be that guy that said, fuck a family, I'm here to win football games. There is no in-between. And I think it was a very conflicted Tom Brady that we saw out there this season. And the Buccaneers, obviously, they have a lot to figure out for themselves, especially, you know, hanging on Tom. Does he come back? Does he leave? Do Is he, you know, what's going on there? Um... And then, you know, even if he comes back, that offense can't be so one-dimensional. Defense obviously needs a major overhaul. Um, the only talking point that anybody's going to bring up, though, is what it, what does Tom do? What does Tom do? And that'll be the question every single day on fucking Twitter until Tom answers it. Um, and then in a month or two when he changes his mind from whatever the original answer was. But I digress. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills got beat up all over the damn pro playground last week. It was a snowy game, awesome football weather to watch as a fan, but the Bills looked nothing like the absolute best team in football, which through most of the season, the Bills absolutely were. Like, they were the best team in football. The Bills have the second best offense and the second best defense in football. There is nothing to suggest that they should get a mud hole stomped in them at home by a team who isn't even top five in any category. I see a lot of people taking it out on Josh Allen. Now listen, he didn't have a typical Josh Allen day. Fair. But he threw for 265. He had a rushing touchdown. He was sacked one time and he didn't turn the ball over until there was a minute left in the game and he's out there trying to play hero ball. Now, Josh didn't play how you hoped. He didn't throw for 350, three or four touchdowns. Um, and I'm not giving him a complete free pass. What I'm saying is there's plenty of blame to go around. Let's talk about that number two defense in football giving up over 400 yards of offense and not forcing a single turnover. Let's talk about 37 team rushing yards that didn't come from Josh Allen. Let's talk about eight fucking penalties. <coughs> Plenty of blame. And it's tough because the preseason polls were valid. The Bills had the best chance at a Super Bowl run. But even the undefeated Pats lost to the Giants, 
so we know there are no guarantees. But this just feels like, to me, and this is why I think it stings the most, it feels like they were at the top of their game and they couldn't get it done. Top offense, top defense. You're there. You got everything you need. The full, complete fucking team. And you're doing it through most of the season. And then you couldn't get it done. And now you've got a lot of impending free agents, including Tremaine Edmonds, Jordan Poyer, obviously a huge one, Jordan Phillips, AJ Klein, and many others. So Brandon Bean will have some important decisions to make this offseason, as will their impending free agents. Now, I'm not implying the bills are going to fall off overnight. But I think it only becomes tougher from here. This is one of the most complete rosters in football as it sits right now. And yet, to the offseason they go. Speaking of the offseason. <coughs> this is why I shouldn't have come back early. Doctor's going to be mad. Um, Minnesota Vikings head to the offseason much earlier than they had expected. And the Vikings' debacle to the Giants is really puzzling to me. Much in the same way, you know, the Bills falling apart was. Um, it's easy to call the Vikings frauds, right? Just because you're a casual who doesn't like Kirk Cousins, um, even though he's the best thing to happen to the Vikings in years. The truth is that the Minnesota Vikings were a 13-4 football team who beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Kirk Cousins has made throws this season that are just stupid. And if Patrick Mahomes made these throws, they would dedicate an entire top 10 of just Patrick Mahomes throws this season um, that should put him in the Hall of Fame next year while he's still playing. Now, this isn't the Tennessee Titans. This isn't some, like, ho-hum offense, some, like, boring blah team. Um, so you can make fun of Kirk Cousins and his top eight offense all you want um, because you like to laugh at some moments of inconsistency. But you don't want to talk about the 30th ranked defense in football. That is the reason Zim was fired. It was the glaring thing that needed to be fixed. And despite them winning a bunch of games, they won with Kirk Cousins, not in spite of him. The defense is still trash. You gave up 431 yards to Daniel Jones and the Giants. There are only two teams in the NFL with a worse defense than you. But y'all want to be mad at fucking Kirk Cousins. Why does Kirk Cousins suck? Maybe they should trade for Lamar. Dumbass casuals. But let's talk about Lamar. Let's talk about the Ravens. So obviously, Lamar missing a playoff game, you know, and the Ravens being bounced out definitely complicates things. There's a ton of things to think about with this Lamar situation. So yes, he missed a bunch of football, um, you know, especially including the playoffs. But what's tough about all of this is Lamar's scheduled to be a free agent and that should have never happened in the first place. Like, the, the Ravens created this clusterfuck. Let me be absolutely clear. Everybody with half a brain understands that. You've got um, 
the Bengals are already talking about, you know, they're going to lock up Joe Burrow and they're going to do their thing. And, you know, Josh Allen was locked up and Kyler Murray and obviously Mahomes, that goes without saying. But you see these teams locking up their quarterbacks for a number of reasons. Number one, because good quarterbacks are hard to find, as we've pointed out. They're very hard to find. They don't grow on trees. And even if there's an amazing one out there on another team, you can't just be like, oh, well, I'll just trade for him. Most teams aren't going to give that player up. It's very rare to see that situation. And then you see the Denver situation that happened in with Russell Wilson. That didn't seem to work out, did it? So there are no fucking guarantees. <coughs> but here's a guarantee. When you have a player with the talent of Lamar Jackson and you don't wrap him up and sign him to a long-term deal, that will only cause you pain. Even if you end up going on winning a Super Bowl with him, it will cause you pain because he is going to tax that ass for every dollar that it's worth because you fucked up. You created this situation. And now look, he gets hurt. And listen, there are people saying, you know, Maybe Lamar could have played. Maybe he wasn't 100%, but maybe he was 60%. Maybe he was like, he probably could have forced himself out there. And I don't know that that's true. But even, let's assume that it was. Why the fuck would you? Let's say you're 60, 70%. You go out there on that knee, and then all of a sudden, blap, torn ACL or something happens. And, oh, you're about to be a free agent? Guess what? Fuck you. No one needs you. No one cares. This is exactly why players want their guaranteed money and or they want their guaranteed years. So when they're going into a contract year, it's not like, oh, I want to be the highest paid person ever. And like, it's, it's all just about, you know, the money that I'm making every single year. No, it's the fact that I know I could never play football again if this year is my last year and I get hurt in this contract year. I might never play football again. So players have to have that business mindset to say, okay, let's sign a four or five year deal. And, you know, let even if it's a five year deal, only four years are guaranteed. Like, okay, well, let me go play two or three and let's see how I'm doing. Hopefully I'm healthy. And then we renegotiate down the road from there. Um, so the Ravens created this fucking situation and now it's tough because Lamar has been hurt and you're like, okay, well, how hurt is, is he? And is I'm sure that he will be ready for week one of next season. But is he going to be ready for minicamp if we uh, can't work out a deal with him and we need to trade him? Would he pass a physical? All of these things start to come into play because, again, you fucked up and you created this situation. So for Ravens fans, I hope that they pay the piper. I think they should give Lamar, if it were me, I would tomorrow give him a four-year, $200 million deal. I wouldn't even fucking think twice about it. <coughs> yes, that's $50 million a year, but doesn't mean it's all guaranteed, and you can create incentives, you can put smart language in the contract. I mean, hell, even Patrick Mahomes' 10-year half a billion dollar deal that he allegedly signed it's not a 10-year deal it's successive one-year deals that automatically renews one year in advance like you can do so many things if you're smart in the front office 
but give this man his money because number one, he's worth it. Number two, all the smart teams, you want to know why they're running to lock up quarterbacks and keep positions? Because new TV money is about to hit the fucking cap. Two years from now, the cap is going to be 150% of what the fuck it is right now. And then, remember, there's a mandate, you know, the way that the cap works, there's a mandate that I think it's like 49.9% or whatever it is, it's it's roughly half um, of all the money generated by the entire NFL has to be p- spent on player salary, therefore ensuring that the players receive half of that money. So if you have to spend the money and you have to spend the cap, you're going to spend it. So that means deals are going to go up. Players are going to go, oh, now I can maybe be a $60 million quarterback. So the point is, is that... <coughs> If Lamar has, you know, a five, six-year deal, whatever the fuck you sign him to, three years from now, you're going to look like a genius having him on, you know, pennies for contract. And if you're like, well, you know, but what about, you know, six-year deal? You know, what if he gets hurt, you know, three years in and he misses a season? Well, again, that's why you can write the contract exactly how Mahomes is. You can have a one-year get-out. You can have all kinds of options to protect yourself. And, again, that goes back to the player. You know, Lamar is representing himself, so you need to sit and talk to him like a human being and say, Lamar, what is more important for you? Is it length of time? Do you want a 10-year deal? Or is it dollar per year? Or is it guaranteed money over three years or whatever it is we can take the other side so if you want a 10-year deal i'll give it to you tomorrow it might not be as much money as you know what you think it would be where we can maximize in a three four year window um but we'll give you a 10-year deal and then we'll obviously have outs and you'll have outs you know at certain parts um Or if it's a money thing, you know, fuck it, let's sign a three-year deal, and then you can renegotiate three years from now, and we'll make it two years fully guaranteed, and, you know, maybe a player option with something, but you can figure it out. All I know is that if the Ravens let him go, and God forbid let him go to somewhere in the AFC, let's say the Jets, let's say the Raiders, wherever, wherever the fuck he ends up, and then they have to watch him play in the playoffs every single year, especially after building your entire offense around him, creating a system for him that, you know, showcases what he does well. And then just to be like, ah, nah, fuck it. We'll go find somebody else and start over again. I hope that that is not the case for the Ravens. I hope that it is not. But Lamar, I hope he taxes that ass. For every fucking penny. Now, let's talk about the New York Giants talking about quarterbacks. Um, The Giants are in a little bit of a trickier situation. So, our algorithms all year have them as frauds. Like, I'm sorry, but it it is what it is. Like, we have an algorithm system that's been tried and true. And, you know, already the... The, our five top teams in our algorithm for 2022, four of the top five are in championship weekend. So it knows something, man. Like, like we're, we're on to something with this stuff. You know, and we, we track the teams. 
that based on common denominators are most likely to win a Super Bowl. And the Giants were nowhere close. They were towards the bottom of the algorithm all year. Didn't matter what their record is. Now listen, they're a scrappy team. I do believe in what Dayball is trying to do, the identity that they're trying to build. Having said that, you don't have a top 10 offense or a top 10 defense. You do nothing exceptionally well. Daniel Jones overall is mediocre at best. Yes, he got much better at not turning the fucking football over this year. It's great. I'm not sure how much that or the resurgence of Saquon Barkley is going to fix your team, though. You are still not a top 10 team in any way, shape, or form. Um, from a grit standpoint, from a culture standpoint, from a um, you know determination factor, maybe. Like I'm not I'm not going to question the culture. I'm not going to question you know how hard they fight and uh, you know the leadership and things like that. Like that's that's good, you know. But Tim Tebow may be a great fucking leader, right? He's he's not taking anybody to a Super Bowl, so. All I'm saying is there's a lot of work that still needs to be done for Big Blue. And I'm interested to see what their plans are over the offseason because we will find out a lot um, when new league year starts even before the draft with some of the moves that they make or don't make. Now, talking about moves, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. So the Dolphins did what they needed to do. In week 18, they secured a playoff berth for the first time since 2016. They went up to Buffalo with a third-string rookie quarterback, Skylar Thompson, and they lost 34-31 to to the number two offense and number two defense in football. Me personally, I think that's a win. I know it doesn't look so on the scoreboard, and Miami fans may not agree with me. Um, they might not think so, but listen. I'm not one for conspiracy theories. But I think there was a lot at play with the Tua situation. We talked about Kenny Pickett, a rookie with multiple concussions this season. A rookie at a star position. Multiple concussions, didn't miss a game. The Bills center had six concussions. No one's sitting around like, you know, well, maybe at seven he should think about retiring. Tua Tungavailoa finishes a fucking game and then... Misses multiple weeks because of symptoms. The NFL, in my opinion, is pure, pure speculation. I think they were so scared of the optics that they shut him down. Not only did they shut him down, why was he hiding in the locker room at the Dolphins' last home game of the season? Why can he not even be around his team and on the sidelines like that somehow... Uh, compromises his recovery from a concussion. He can't stand and watch football. That's that's too much on his brain. The whole situation is completely fucked. And there are only two possible reasons. Reason one, the guy got knocked back to third grade. He's never going to play football again, and we don't want him anywhere out talking to anyone because he sounds like a frat boy post-lobotomy who can't string sentences together. Or... A situation was created where no doctor was going to clear him this season. And every medical professional was told 
If you clear him, that's your ass. Again, this is just a hypothetical. And then the Dolphins took it on the chin for some other reasons that I'll have to save for another day. But I'll tell you this. I personally have it on good authority from people inside the building that he thought he could play versus the Bills. His teammates not only thought he could play, but thought he was going to play. And Vegas sure as fuck thought he was going to play. Something is afoot. And I'll leave it at that. But back on a positive note, I do believe he is your week one starter for the Miami Dolphins heading into 2023. I think the future is very bright in, in Miami. Mike McDaniels, year one, took his team to the playoffs and had a top offense. Um, I think they were top eight most of the year. They finished 11th, but you know the last time that the Dolphins had a top 10 offense? 2001. Over 20 fucking years ago. And this idea that like, well, Mike McDaniels inherited a playoff team. Did he? Which playoff Which playoff game did they play in last year? What about the year before that? Or the year before that? Then they weren't a playoff team. You can't say that someone inherited a playoff team who wasn't in the fucking playoffs. What you can say is that this is the best offense the Miami Dolphins have seen in 20 fucking years. And they didn't have their quarterback for a handful of those games. Tua finished as the youngest quarterback to lead the league in passer rating since, check my notes here, uh, Dan fucking Marino. Now, the Dolphins will have some free agent decisions that they're going to have to make. But, if they're able to get back Nick Needham, if Trill Williams comes back healthy, if Brandon Jones comes back healthy, if Emmanuel Ogba, all these guys who got injured and completely decimated the depth and defense... And if they get the D.C. hire right, this team will have the potential of what the Bills had this year. More uncertainty, more like, okay, we have to see it to believe it, but the same exact fucking potential of what the Bills had this year. And I and I, I hear your jokes on the other, other side of, of my voice. But the Bills lost. They, they didn't win anything. Okay, so you're going to say the Bills are a shit team? They were... Top offense, top defense. Like, even David, you know, Goliath matchups happen like it, like it happens. But the point is, the potential will be there. So, don't despair, Dolphin fans. I think you have a very, very bright future. Speaking of futures, let's talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, you want to talk about Chargers? Oh, what happened? Did Justin Herbert complete less than 60% of his passes in a playoff game? We had 273 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, I mean, 43 fucking attempts. He was sacked three times, fumbled once. It was recovered, fortunately. Um, But most importantly... The Chargers offense, after being the beneficiary of four interceptions and a fumble, five turnovers, and a 27 to nothing lead 
in the playoffs, that same Chargers team then shit the bed and the offense scored three points in the second half. Three points. Now that, to me, doesn't sound like elite quarterback play. And now, to be fair, Brandon Staley should be publicly flogged for the fact that Mike Williams was unavailable due to him making the dumbest fucking decisions imaginable in Week 18, and it would have been nice to have another weapon out there. But (coughs) giving up a 27-point lead in the playoffs is unforgivable, and the Chargers have a ton to answer for. But I find the fans to be a bit inconsistent. And I have a um I have an interesting relationship with Bolt Up Nation. We either love each other or hate each other at moments. Um because, you know, last year you wanted to crown Staley and how great he was for Herbert and everything was so awesome. This year, well, Herbert was being held back by bad coaching. Until he wasn't, and they were winning games and they locked up the playoffs and then like, oh yeah, everything's great. Now, Staley's a fuckwit. All of a sudden. Now, and and to be fair, I think he is a fuckwit. But at least I'm consistent with my messaging. Now listen. Justin Herbert is a great quarterback. I want to be very clear. And if Staley doesn't sabotage his own team, the Chargers have a lot of promise. But I still want to see the fruits of that defense that I expected to be top three this year. Bosa. Mac, James, Jackson, not the 22nd ranked defense that they ended up being. So yeah, I want to see them healthy, not just at the wide receiver position. I want to see them gel. But Chargers fans need a fucking reality check, and I'm here to give it to you. Justin Herbert was very accurate with the football most of this year. Very accurate. But he ranks... 12th in passer rating, 21st in touchdown rate, 23rd in yards per attempt, and 31st in air yards per attempt, which of course is going to help your accuracy. When you're throwing it to your running back all the time, your accuracy is going to be a little bit better. But I'm saying these slower so that you can let them sink in. 12th in passer rating. Okay, we understand what passer rating, it's full compilation of completion, how often you throw touchdowns, picks, etc. He's 12th. It's fine. 21st in touchdown rate. So yeah, we can look at totals, but then we look at he's 21st in touchdown rate, meaning there are 20 quarterbacks who throw touchdowns more often than Justin Herbert. All right, no big deal. 23rd in yards per attempt. Meaning, with all those attempts, how many yards is he getting out of it? Well, it's 22 quarterbacks who got more. 31st in attempted air yards per attempt. Which again, is where is your depth of target? How many yards downfield? He was 31st. He threw the ball 700 times this season. Second only to Tom Brady. And he threw it for more than 130 more attempts than Josh Allen. He had more passing attempts than Marcus Mariota and Kenny Pickett combined this season. So sure, 
When you throw 41 times a game, you will probably stack up some yards. So the yards will get there. But when you tell me he is a top three quarterback, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. In hair product endorsements? If you think he is a top three quarterback, you need to lower your voice when you are lying to me. Can he be? Sure. But my uncle can be my aunt with a surgery. That doesn't mean he's a beautiful woman yet. And guess what? Last year, with his healthy wide receivers, when he wasn't a top five guy, still not even close. Again, let him develop. Hopefully he gets some good coaching and gets comfortable pushing the ball downfield a little bit more. I think he can be an amazing quarterback in this league. But just chill the fuck out with your second coming nonsense and your top three rhetoric. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Now, let's hit Chaz's corner real quick to talk about the betting lines for this week's game. You've got the Bengals in Kansas City taking on the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home. I know the Bengals have won three straight. I get it. They're on a high. They're reeling. But I think Kansas City handles business. I like them to cover the 1.5. You can probably take them straight up on a money line. It'll obviously give you uh, more juice. But, you know, the 1.5 is there. I like Kansas City. Now, Philly minus 2.5 versus the 49ers. I told you I love the Brock Purdy story. I love it. I love it. I'm rooting for the kid. I like it. I like Shanahan and what he's doing. I like Kittle and Bosa and these guys. Like, like it's, it's, it's awesome. But I'm taking Philly to cover the 2.5. I think Philly gets out by a field goal. Um, maybe two points, maybe closer. You know, I, I, I love minus Philly at two. Therefore, you know, it's a push at the worst um, if it goes to two. But uh, I'll take Philly to cover the two and a half. And now if you go to our Patreon page, you'll be able to get um, any props that we have. There's a couple that we like. Uh, there's also a parlay uh, that I think we're going to put down on. Um, so that stuff will be available on our Patreon page. Outside of that, anything and everything, all the shit talking, all the memes, all your answered questions, everything you need, I got you on Twitter at RegulatorsPod. So to everybody who went without us for a couple of weeks and were wondering what the fuck we had going on, I was near death. Um, but I am, I am clinging to life at the moment and uh, shoving as much rum down my throat as possible so that if I go, at least I'm in a good state. Anyways, this is the Regulators Podcast. My name is Waldo. Thank you for joining us as you do every single week. Um, find us in the Twitter streets. Love to talk some shit with you guys. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you guys. I'm out this bitch. Peace! Peace!